information contained in this lecture is meant to accompany the PowerPoint presentation that is saved in the week one module for values and ethics in sports. So it may be beneficial for you to follow along with that document as you listen to this podcast lecture to be able to see the outline of the content as in the context in which it's discussed. In this lesson, we are going to be discussing professionalism, values, and ethics. You know, one of the textbooks that I reference through this lesson um, that I highly recommend, if this is an area of deeper interest for you, is Ethics and Morality in Sport Management. It was written by Dr. DeCenci. Um, I believe the most recent publication was 2010. So it's an oldie but a goodie, and I highly recommend it if this is an area that interests you. Values and ethics, a lot of times they get used interchangeably. I think of values as a system of beliefs. What is important to you? These are gonna guide your determination of right versus wrong. So what do you believe is right and what do you believe is wrong? Now, I believe that you're gonna use your values to determine your ethics. And I consider ethics to be a system of behaviors or activities that are determined by your moral principles. So what do you believe and then how do you act and behave based on those beliefs? Those are your values and your ethics. These are gonna to come to play in something you may have heard of called a mission statement. A mission statement is important because it helps remind you why you're there. It's a concise written statement that describes your philosophies and objectives. What do you do? How do you do it? For whom is it done? And what value has been added because of it? So for those of you who are fans of your sports movies, this is all about Jerry Maguire. So for those of you who have seen the film Jerry Maguire, you'll remember that the entire premise of that film was that this guy stayed up late one night and wrote a mission statement. His was like 30 pages long. An actual mission statement should be a statement, just that short and concise. Keep it to one sentence if possible, a paragraph at most, but it should be able to clearly define your purpose. If you can't define your purpose in a short, concise statement, perhaps you don't understand it as fully as you think you do. So go back and reevaluate that. For those of you who have not seen Jerry Maguire, you should stop now and go watch Jerry Maguire. It's a little over two hours long, so make sure you plan enough time and then come back to us. All right, so stop and think about what are your top five values. What, when you're thinking about your system of beliefs, what are the top five most important things to you? Give an example of how you exercise each. So how do you demonstrate each of your five values? And then stop and think for a minute as to whether or not your personal values are different than your business or professional values. If so, how are they different and why are they different? It's okay for your personal values to be different than your professional values. Your priorities are gonna be different. Your behaviors are gonna be different. You are trying to achieve different objectives. So it is totally okay if your professional values are different than your personal values but it is helpful to sit down and be able to establish each and understand 
why they are what they are and why one thing may be more important to you in your personal life than in your professional life and vice versa. So just take a few minutes to be able to think about those. All right, so what are some of the ethical issues that we may for face in the sports industry? These are going to include things such as fair play, gender equity, contractual obligations, morality clauses, professionalism, legal issues, supply chain and sourcing, quality control, conflicts of interest, and community obligations. Now some more specific examples that you may face working in the sports industry are pricing structure. You've got to determine your ticket pricing. Are you going to keep static pricing? Are you going to keep everything the same? Or are there going to be increases and decreases or what's known as dynamic pricing where the prices may f fluctuate based on demand or performance? Are you going to offer PSLs or private seat licenses, also known as personal seat licenses, where you basically purchase the right to purchase a ticket? Are there going to be souvenirs or royalties from souvenirs? Concessions, how much are you going to charge for your concessions during your events? You're also going to want to think about things such as timing. Can fans actually attend daytime events, or if it's something long-term, something like a tournament, can they commit the amount of time to experience the event in its entirety or just a specific segment of that event? And then location and accessibility. How are people going to get to your facilities or get to your venues, and how are those venues and facilities going to be used? What is the economic impact that your organization or your event may have on the community. And you may also have to worry about relocation. If a venue or geographic location is no longer filling the needs of your organization, you may need to consider the impact of relocation. You're also gonna to wanna to think about things such as fair working conditions. Most states now are right-to-work states, which means that anyone can quit for any reason, anyone can be fired for almost any reason, um, versus contract workers who agree to commit to certain services for a scope of work over a set period of time for a set fee. Are your hours, your pay, and your overtime fair to your employees? Do they represent the work that's being done? And internships. What are the rules surrounding whether or not interns should be paid and what type of work they can do? You're also going to worry about medical and physical limitations and whether or not you can make reasonable accommodations and whether or not those accommodations or any of those risks or limitations expose you to further liability. Diversity and inclusion in hiring and opportunities. It's going to cover things such as gender, ethnicity, and qualifications for open positions. We're also going to talk about amateur versus professional athletes and the issues of pay-to-play, agents in recruitment of athletes, exploitation, 
um, an academic standing. So a lot of this is going to deal with student athletes versus professional athletes and what qualifies those and what the limits are and what the restrictions are. And that's going to get us into our discussion about name, image, and likeness, or shortened to NIL, so that you all can understand the value that one's person has to their brand and to their value. You're also going to want to consider things such as performance expectations. And here I'm not necessarily talking about athletes, but about the staff who work in your organization or work in your industry. Whether or not the sales goals that you set for your staff to achieve are realistic. Whether or not there are requirements for championships, for winning championships as part of your performance package. Whether or not attendance levels get factored in. Budgets, you've always got to make sure that your budget equals out and that it's also reasonable and time bound and that it is going to cover your needs. So some people may argue that the playing somebody at a different level will help you raise the level of competition. It will help you improve by playing a competitor who is at a higher level. There's also the risk of injuries, greater injuries if you are not quite prepared to play at that level of competition. So you need to be able to balance the benefits of the increased competition and the increased skill level against those risks of potential injury. I'm going to talk about contractual obligations. What happens if an organization ceases operations and is unable to fulfill the terms that they set forth in contracts that they entered into? What if they're the ones who are relocating and are no longer to offer to receive or fulfill services and who's going to be paying the bills for all of these obligations. And another t issue that has come up recently is that of participation trophies and whether or not participation, participation trophies reflect the values of sportsmanship. So switching directions a little bit, another issue that you may not think of necessarily as being a responsibility of the sports industry is that of social responsibility. So sports organizations, every organization has an obligation to protect the community in which they operate. So when you're talking about social responsibility in your local community, how are you as an individual or as an organization going to improve the community in which you function? Who is your target audience? How are you going to reach them? What type of economic impact do you have on your community? How much money are you bringing into the community? And is that impact worth whatever disruption your presence in that community may present? Also talking again about accessibility. Can those who live in that community actually participate in whatever it is you have to offer. Now, this may be physical accessibility. Can they get there? Can they partake? Or it may be something more socioeconomic, such as can they afford to buy the tickets to the event that you are selling? So there's a couple of different ways that can be interpreted. And you're also going to have to consider at some point the local politics 
of your local community and how they affect you and how you impact those. Another area is going to be corporate responsibility. So this is going to deal more with organizations and businesses and how they operate in a community. So what are the best interests of the organization versus the best interests of the community and how do those get balanced? How do you measure the sustainability of what you are doing and can the community in which you operate sustain your operations over time? And then you're also going to want to think about public relations and perception because it's not always about what you do. It's about what people think you do and how that looks to the people who think they see what they're seeing you do. So those are things you're going to want to think about from a corporate responsibility perspective. What's in the best interest of your organization versus that of this community? And then you're also going to want to think about environmental responsibility and the impact of your organization or your business on the natural resources and wildlife in that community. An issue of environmental responsibility might be to think about going for a hike. If you live in an area where trails and paths and dedicated areas are available for you to go hiking, that's a great privilege to be able to experience that type of outdoor activity. But you also need to be able to balance that privilege and access to that activity to the wear and tear on the environment. So what does it take to clear the trails? What does it take to maintain the trails? How does that affect the wildlife and the natural resources that are along those trails? And then what type of, I don't want to say damage, but how much of a disruption will the influx of hikers have on that environment of the wildlife and nature that live along that hiking trail. So you've got to be able to balance access to whether or not you should do it, whether or not you can do it, and how to what extent, how much you should be able to, to do it. So those are things you're going to want to think about balancing when it comes to responsibility. Best for you, best for the community, and then be able to find that balance and make it work for everybody. Now, something else, again, taking another turn with values and ethics in sports industries, you may tend to notice that there are a lot of celebrity affiliations because a lot of times sports are not only considered sports and activities, but they're also considered entertainment and therefore they have a slightly broader audience and they can attract a lot of celebrity followers. So if you're an organization and you are looking to bring in some type of celebrity either either as a spokesperson or as a spokesmodel or as the face of an image or face of a campaign, there are a few things you're going to want to think about as you approach individuals into a partnership like this. So first of all, you're going to want to look at the individual at the person as well as the brand or the image, the persona that they represent. Are they aligned with the values and goals of your organization? Are they following those five basic principles? Are they aligned with your mission statement? 
and how are they going to help you achieve the goals that you have set forth for the organization to accomplish. Next is going to be the money. It's always going to be the money. What is the financial value of that relationship? How much is it worth to you to have them affiliated? And then how much is it worth to them to be affiliated with you? So again, you've got to be able to balance what you can do, what you can afford versus what they're willing to work for. And then make sure that those numbers align somewhere along the spectrum. Now, what type of factors can make or break a partnership? If for any reason, any of these celebrities who are affiliated with your brand become a distraction and start to detract from the value of the partnership, then difficult decisions and conversations may need to take place. So you all can probably think of a few athletes who might have stepped out of line or done something controversial or said something or done something they shouldn't have. And it had a severe financial impact on their image, on their life, on their ability to earn a living. So just a few, throwing them out there that you'll probably think of. Mr. Woods, Tiger Woods lost five major deals between 2009 and 2013. Lance Armstrong lost 11 sponsors in one day back in 2012. And Maria Sharapova lost three sponsors in 2016. And Oscar Pistorius lost three sponsors in 2013. So if you're not familiar with any of these individuals, with any of these athletes, I recommend you do a quick Google search, get a little gist of the background, check out some of the news stories, and see what types of circumstances led up to each of them losing sponsorships and losing these financial partnerships. All right, so how do you know whether or not you need to have these conversations, whether or not you need to approach a celebrity for a partnership, whether or not you need to talk to somebody about breaking off a partnership? This is going to have to do with really any ethical decision you're going to have to make in your life. It's not specific to sports. It's not specific to work. But there are certain steps that you will want to go through when making quote unquote ethical decisions, right? So the first and probably most important thing that you need to do is to identify the problem to be solved or the issue at hand. Now, I know that sounds really simple, and you're like, oh yeah, I know exactly what the problem is. Make sure that you know exactly what the problem is. Otherwise, you're going to go off on a tangent, and you're going to go off on a rant on something that doesn't have anything to do with the actual problem at hand. So the first thing you have to do is to stop and take a step back and listen to what's going on. Identify that problem to be solved or the issue at hand, right? Once you feel fairly confident that you have been able to identify and say this is the problem, next you're going to take steps to obtain relevant information. Now, don't just listen to anything that comes your way. You, this is where you need to be able to filter out and again, remain focused on the issue at hand is to obtain relevant information. Block out all of the noise that has nothing to do with the topic. You'll notice in some of the things that we discuss that a lot of times the arguments and the discussions 
aren't about the actual issue. People go off on their own tangents and they misconstrue the situation or the circumstances to fit an agenda and it completely misses the point of what's going on. So make sure that what you are hearing of what you're absorbing is in fact completely relevant to the situation. How are you going to do that? You're going to do that by consulting existing policies. You're going to consult operating guidelines. You are going to find out what is in place and what rules you need to follow in order to act or make a decision on this issue or on this problem. So you've identified the problem, you've obtained relevant information, you have confirmed that it is relevant, you have confirmed that it's true, you have confirmed that it can be supported, and you've consulted your existing policies and guidelines to find out how you should proceed. You're also going to want to obtain multiple points of view regarding the situation. So this isn't just going out and saying, hey, what do you all think? This is consulting your peers, consulting previous precedent, finding out, doing a little bit of research to find out what's been done in similar circumstances and what the outcomes were. Now, those won't always define what you do, but they may help guide you in making that sound ethical decision. So obtaining multiple points of view regarding the situation, consulting your peers, and consulting precedent. Now, by peers, it doesn't necessarily mean your friends. It means those who are at a similar level in similar circumstances in a similar industry. So if you're an athletic director, you're going to want to contact other athletic directors either in, within your department, maybe some who are trusted at other institutions, maybe some who are mentors that you've learned from in the past. It may be, you know, consulting... It may be consulting friends. Depends on what your friends do and whether or not their knowledge and guidance could be considered relevant or who know you and know your thought-making process who can help walk you through the decision. You're going to want to weigh your options versus your outcomes. So what are your choices to proceed and then what do you expect those outcomes to be? And you also need to factor into that the perceptions. So again, not just what happens and how people react to it, but what people think happened and how people react to that. So every time you're factoring your options and your outcomes, make sure you include the perception and how it's going to look from the outside, how it's going to look from the inside, how it's going to look from the perspectives of your key personnel, those people who are going to be most affected by this. We'll call them stakeholders. Once you've done that, you're going to sit there and think whether or not there's any room for compromise because there may not be a clear-cut pathway to success or one answer that's going to solve a problem. There may not be one way to make everybody happy, so you need to start looking to see if there's any room for compromise. Can you still get a desirable outcome even if it's not the most perfect way? Do you have to give a little and take a little in order to make this work, in order to make this resolve itself? You're also going to want to take the necessary time to reach the best decision under the circumstances. Take a little time, you know, 
not everything is a split second decision. Sometimes it will be, and at which point you've got to make that split second decision. But for most of your circumstances in life, you're going to get a little bit of time to think about something. So it might be an hour, it might be an afternoon, it might be a day, a week, or a month. Take the time necessary to reach the best decision under the circumstances. And that's, that's the key there. The best decision under the circumstances. Chances are when you have to make a decision, you probably still won't have all of the information that you need. Take a little more time if you can. But also understand that it's not necessarily about right or wrong. The best decision based on the information and the circumstances that you have at the time. Hindsight will always be 2020, but you've got to do the best you can with what you have when something needs to be done. And then after the fact, evaluate the decision. Make changes if necessary or appropriate. So it may come to the fact where you realize that may not have been the best decision. It may not have been the best course of action to take. Is there room to pivot and make that adjustment? Can you tweak your statement? Can you provide additional information? Can you completely reverse course and go in another direction? So once you've made that decision, you don't just wipe your hands and say, I'm done. Go back and evaluate. See if any new information has come that you can reasonably act on. Can you evaluate the decision, make the changes if necessary or appropriate? So necessary and appropriate, again, two different things. But if it's necessary or if it's appropriate, maybe you can make those changes. Right, so there's going to be some case studies that you can look into if you're looking for information about um, ethical decisions and the outcomes of those. Things that may have to do with activities that are on the field or on the court, actual competitions. Or is it something that took place behind the scenes, maybe in the locker room or team-sponsored prayers? You know, these are things that might affect the operation but not necessarily be seen as a part of the competition. So these things may be going on behind the scenes that the fans and spectators may not necessarily be aware of. Are there fair labor practices? So is this something where team staff are paid a living wage? Is this something where internships are paid? Is this something where people are earning minimum wage or are they earning more than minimum wage? Are they expected to work unreasonably long shifts or carry unreasonably heavy loads? This is also going to affect players and athletes, coaches and medical staff. How long are the practices? What are the weather conditions under which they are expected to practice or perform or compete? You know, if it's 110 degrees outside, is it a reasonable expectation that a competition would take place or be delayed? You need to be able to factor all of that into the labor practices of how organizations operate. Something that's a little bit more splashy, something like deflate gate, whether or not those footballs really were deflated just a little bit before the game time, or even some of the more serious allegations of what took place at Penn State University and their athletic program. 
So again, if you're not familiar with any of these topics, just do a quick Google search or shoot me an email. I'll be happy to explain, but I want you guys to get comfortable looking things up on your own so that you know how to search and again, how to evaluate the sources of the information that you find. So see what kind of stories come up, read a couple of them, verify them. Do you think there are a reasonable source, a reliable source of information, or are they a little bit more um, of a tabloid or entertainment piece versus a fact-based reporting piece? So those are some things that I want you to be able to get comfortable doing and looking into. Right? Some of the other current events um, over the past few years that have raised ethical concerns and discussion in the industry um, so take a look back at the Olympics of 2018 when something that didn't really get a lot of attention necessarily in the sports world as it did in the political world is that the participation of athletes from Russia and Korea were handled a little bit differently than in past, past Olympic competitions. So again, do a quick little Google search, but Russian athletes were accused of doping and therefore Russia was banned from the Olympics. However, they did not want to punish all Russian athletes because they don't want to assume that all Russian athletes were guilty. So while penalizing the country as an organization, what they said is that Russia could not be represented in the Olympics. However, Russian athletes were allowed to participate, but they were not allowed to participate on behalf of Russia. So what they did is participate as Olympic athletes. They participated under the Olympic flag versus competing under the Russian flag. Yes, it's a technicality, but it makes a point and it was how the Olympics decided to proceed and manage punishing the organization without punishing individuals who had not been found guilty. So people are in favor, some people oppose, but do a little bit of reading on that, find out which side you fall down on. And then there was also the issue of Korean athletes, because as we know, there's North Korea, which is communist, there is South Korea, which is not. And these are two very different, very distinct, very independent nations. But for the first time, they came together to compete under one joint Korean flag, presenting themselves as Korean athletes, not from North Korea, not from South Korea. So that was a step towards statesmanship and being able to make a political statement through the Olympic Games. Because as we know, the Olympic Games are a way for nations and people and individuals from around the globe to come together in peace and compete under the guide of sportsmanship. All right, so you're, we're also going to discuss a little bit about Colin Kaepernick in this semester in our lessons. So if you're not familiar with Colin Kaepernick, do your search. We're going to get a lesson on that, so I'm going to leave a lot of the details for that lesson. You may also be familiar with the sexual abuse and medical misconduct 
that involved USA Gymnastics and the Michigan State investigation of Dr. Nasser and the outcome of his trial. We're also going to talk about some political overlap, such as when Vice President Pence visited Indianapolis to go to a Colts game, only to walk out and make his own political statement. There is a lot of controversy about that, even though it may seem that it's not a big deal. It had a financial impact for the city of Indianapolis and the costs associated with his trip simply to make that statement. Some people took issue with that. You're also going to want to think about CTE. Yes, it has a very long technical medical name. I can't really spell it. I certainly can't pronounce it. So I simply refer to it by its abbreviation, CTE, which is the brain disease that is found with traumatic impact. And it's found in nearly all brains of former NFL players who have passed on and dedicated and contributed their brains to science to be studied. So CTE has been found in nearly all of those brains that have been donated by NFL players for the purposes of studying this disease. Major League Baseball isn't exempt from any of this. They have their own issues, such as the safety nets around the batter's box and whether or not those are high enough and wide enough to protect the fans behind home base, sorry, behind home plate or along the baselines and whether or not they are adequately protected from the risk of, in, risk of injury from baseballs, bats, other flying objects. They also face controversy about a lack of diversity in their hiring practices, not only with the league, but among its member clubs. And while its diversity hiring has improved over time, they still have a long way to go. And of course, we're going to talk a little bit about COVID-19 and the impact it has had on the sports industry, because we're going to have one or two years of this that face a lot of asterisks in the record books and history books. So we're going to be talking about all of those as some of the current events and issues that we're going to be dealing with in this course.